0: In Colossians chapter 2, we begin in verse number 6 today. Colossians 2 beginning in verse number 6. It says these words, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you are taught, bounding and thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. And this is God's Word this morning. Ligonier Ministries is an organization founded by R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul. Um, Lifeway Christian Resources is obviously a publishing arm publishes Christian material and so on. They get together and they team up every two years. And they do a survey on the theological temperature of America. In other words, we as Americans, Christians, and non, believe about God, the Bible, life and death of Jesus, so on and so forth. They did this last Survey in 2022, and this is a summary of their findings from their latest survey. They say this 2022 State of Theology survey reveals that Americans increasingly reject the divine origin and complete accuracy of the Bible with no endearing plumb line of absolute truth to conform to, U.S. adults are also increasingly holding to unbiblical worldviews related to human sexuality. In the evangelical sphere, doctrines including the deity and exclusivity of Jesus Christ, as well as the inspiration and authority of the Bible, are increasingly being rejected. They go on, they say, "While well, positive views are, or trends are present including evangelicals' views on abortion and sex outside of marriage, an inconsistent biblical ethic is also evident. With more evangelicals embracing a secular worldview in the terms or in the areas of homosexuality and gender identity. Now, I read that to you because We have reached perhaps the heart of the book of Colossians here in chapter 2. Verses 6-15 to really sum up what the Apostle is wanting to teach the church, wanting to get them to understand. I've said it a few times already, but we'll say it again here this morning that the book of Colossians is teaching us the supremacy of Christ. The superiority of Christ. And he is, or he is teaching, Paul is teaching the, the supremacy of Christ over all other deities, all other religious views, all other religious perspectives in life. Paul is trying to say to the church, there is none greater than Christ. And if this is the case, Christ is greater if He is superior, then the question naturally arises, why would you pursue some lesser belief? Why would you pursue some lesser deity? The answer is found perhaps in verse 4 that we mentioned last week. Paul says that people are out there to delude us with plausible Arguments, rational arguments, good-sounding arguments, arguments that are easy to believe. The problem that Paul is confronting in this letter is that there are those coming to the church in Colossia and telling them there is a better way. There is a truer way in Christianity. There is a better path to God. One commentator states they are offering a philosophy which offers salvation through knowledge of spiritual powers. Observance of religious practices are trying to convince this church that this teaching that Paul has been giving to them, it's all fine and well and good. But there's something a little bit better. And we'll get more into this as we progress through this chapter in the next week, but I do want to point out to you that what the church of Colossia was facing in their day and hour is in a lot of ways what we are facing today. We are being assaulted with false and alternative views of Christianity. Christianity that tells us that maybe we can disregard what the Bible teaches. Christianity that says we can unhitch our beliefs from the Old Testament ideas, which are out of date, which are out of time, if you would. Christianity is offering something other than Christ and Him alone. How do we stand against such arguments? What do we do when we live in a world that does not believe in the authority and inspiration of the Bible? The deity of Christ and the sufficiency of the work of Christ on the cross to forgive our sins. What are we to do? The answer is found in the title of this message and in the verses that we are looking at today. The answer is simple. Abide in Christ. Remain in Christ. Walk, if you would, in Christ Jesus. The challenge for you and I is not to not to start looking for a new and a better way, not to start considering a, a new and different belief, not to think that there's something a little bit better out there. The challenge is for you and I simply to turn our eyes back on Jesus. Consider the teachings of Scripture one more time. Look to that which is good. As Jeremiah said, seek the old paths and find them. And there we find the rest for our souls that we need. The answer is not to give in to these plausible arguments, but rather remain fast to Christ. And so as we get into this text, we have three simple things for you this morning. First of all, we have the command. Then we have the caution. And then finally we have the counter. The command, the caution, the counter. Write it down and you can sneak out and go sample the food if you want. (laughs) Or you can stick around. If everybody leaves, I'll never do that ever again. The command, first of all, the apostle offers commendation to the church in verse 5. I'm glad to know that you're rejoicing to see your good order. I'm, I rejoice to know of your firmness, your faith in Christ. And then in verse six, we notice he issues, he issues a command. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Therefore, as you have received Christ, so continue to walk in Him. As the old saying goes in the joke of every pastor and Bible teacher throughout time, when you read the word, therefore, you should find out what it is there for. This is a conjunction. The apostle is telling his readers in light of everything that I have just told you this is what you should do. This is how you should act. So what did Paul tell them? Well, we remind ourselves, beginning in chapter 1, he told them that Christ is the firstborn. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Christ, Paul has told the church that Christ is the head of the church, that Christ has all authority and power, and that He is reconciling all things in this world to the Father through His death on the cross. That Christ is the greatest, the supreme, the one who is worthy of all worship and allegiance. And then he says, as you have received Christ, as you have received this message, as it has been taught to you so Walk in this message. Paul uses the word receive here. He's alluding to the concept of Jewish teachers of the law who would pass on traditions to their students. As the disciples would walk with them, they would follow them. Much as the disciples walked and followed with Jesus, they would pass on their teachings and their traditions to their students. However, what the church had received was not merely traditions and teachings about Christ. They had received Christ himself. And of course, the word walk here is the idea of living, behaving according to God's laws, according to the way of Christ. Paul talks in chapter 1 verse 9 again of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. You know, we as Christians are called to do more. Simply raise our hands or fill out a connection card or whatever you may do. It's it's more than just walking a sawdust trail and shaking the hand of the preacher. A call as Christians is to live our lives in a way that demonstrates that you believe what you say you do. Nothing worse than being a parent and having to teach your children to drive. And I've not gotten any better my third time around here. Because when I'm sitting in the passenger seat, it's, it's so easy to say to them, stop behind the stop sign, come to a complete stop, right? I was taught to count to three Mississippi or whatever. And then you ease forward so you can see through the intersection. And when the intersection is clear, then you proceed, All right, Because that's what the book tells us to do. And then, of course, when you're in the driver's seat, and you do at least what we call out in Kansas, a California stop, which is we just kind of roll through it. (laughs) And then your child is next to you. He's like, you didn't stop there. You have to say, do what I say, not as I do, all right? Trust me, okay? Yeah, you only have to take the test once in your life if you're good, but here you are. What do we do? We we are supposed to, as Christians, really demonstrate and believe and show, I should say, that we truly believe what we say, that Jesus is the way. He is the hope. He is our Messiah. Paul says, as you have received this, so walk in the way that you have been taught. How do we walk in it? Well, Paul gives us three ways here. Verses 6 and 7, as you have received Christ, now walk in, in verse 7, rooted, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Notice as we have been rooted in Christ, now we are to be built up. It's not that we plant a tree by sticking it 30 feet in the air and saying, hopefully the tree will grow that big. No, we we put the seed deep into the ground. And as it is established deep in the ground, then it grows massive feet into the air. And then as we're taught, we are now to be established, established in the faith, established in the truth. These are different ways in which the apostle is talking about growing about becoming strong and resilient. We as Christians are, are not to be lives of stagnation, lives of just blah, lives of just nothing, but we are to be striving to walk closer to God each and every day. We have to walk in Christ. We have to be rooted in Christ. We have to be established in Christ. And then notice what ties it all together. We are to abound in thanksgiving. We are to abound in thanksgiving. I was reading through this and studying throughout the week. I found one commentator that wrote something that was so good that, well, I just need to copy it and quote it to you. He says these words, to be bursting with thankfulness is a true witness of the Spirit within us. For the voice of thanksgiving speaks without ceasing of the goodness of God. It claims nothing. It sees no merit in man's receiving but only God's giving. It marvels at His mercy. It is... Language of joy just because it need look no longer to its own resources. It is an expression, a dependence on another. It is the speech of the psalmist, and it is the natural tongue of the apostles. It is also heard on the lips of the weakest Christian, on his knees. Then the commentator goes on and says, here is a fine test by which we may test the authentic quality of our spiritual growth. To be filled with gratitude is to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. The Christian rejoicing in this blessing of a thankful heart will have his eyes fixed upon the right person in the right place, Christ at God's right hand. He cannot be taken up with himself without being immediately reminded that everything he possesses is a gift of God. The only thing that he can claim to be filled with which comes from himself and which he can offer to God is gratitude. You realize how important thanksgiving, thankfulness is in the life of the believer? Is it any wonder in Romans chapter 1 and Second Timothy chapter 4 that Paul talks about an apostate age, a a backsliding age, and he says one of the hallmarks are that they are unthankful. They are unthankful. What about you? Did you pause this morning to give thanks to God? Did you pause this morning just to give gratitude and worship to God? Was that your first thought as your eyes opened up and the alarm clock went off and and you set your feet on the floor? Did you say, thank you, God, for another day? Did you enter His gates this morning with thanksgiving and your hearts into His courts with praise? Thankful rejoicing the goodness and mercy of God. Paul says, as you have received Christ, walk in Him, be rooted, be grounded, growing in Him. And then, as you are doing this, let your life abound with thanksgiving. Yes, Hobby Lobby may be selling you a lot of stuff and I'll encourage you to buy them so that Holly can make a lot of money. But more importantly, more importantly than the nice things that we may have in our home. It says, give thanks. It quotes verses of thanksgiving. Let it be from our lives, the fruit of our lips, offering a sacrifice of thanks to God. Paul gives us a command, as you have received Christ, walk in Him. And then he gives us the caution. The caution in verse 8. Command is to walk in Christ, but the question is why? Why should we do this? Well, verse 8 tells us, see to it. Paul says, and no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition. According to the elemental spirits of the world. Not according to Christ. And the reason we need to abide and remain in Christ is because there are philosophies, there are traditions, there are false beliefs that want to destroy us and to take us captive. Reality is that we as Christians are in a battle for our very souls, very lives as children of God. Unfortunately, we focus way too much on external sins and all these things which are so bad. And and man, I don't want to get caught, you know, committing adultery. I don't want to get caught stealing or all this other stuff. And we forget that the enemy also wants to destroy us through false beliefs, false philosophies, false ways of living our life. We tend to think of philosophy in a certain way in our day. Refer to philosophy as a study of nature, causes, or principles, reality, knowledge, or values. However, our definition today, and that class that you took back in college or high school in philosophy 101, is, is probably much nearer than Paul's would have been. Paul uses this word philosophy here. He is referring to virtually any system of thoughts any system of thought that is contrary to the teaching of Christ. Paul says you need to be on guard. You need to watch out. You need to make sure that no one is taking you captive. Again, we'll talk about this in a few weeks, but a lot of debate on what this heresy was. You go down later in the chapter, as we'll see, you read things such as verse 18. Paul says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, insistence on asceticism or false humility of of, of denying yourself of self-flagellation, if you would, worship of angels, or as we'll see in this Section, a system of legalistic practices was infiltrating the Church of Colossia. And the end result is it was undermining the sufficiency and deity of Christ. This, of course, is the end goal. This is the objective. Satan wants nothing more than to, to undermine the truth of who Christ is and the authority that he has in our life as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And again, that attack is alive and well today. I heard this last week that the largest Hindu temple in America has recently opened for business. In fact, it's one of the largest ones in the world outside of India. If you want to go, could probably make it there in a matter of a few hours. It's in Robbinsville, New Jersey, just outside of Princeton. Not too far from where we sit this morning. There are 10,000 statues that are found in this temple. You can worship about anything and everything you want to. Now you hear that and you say, there's no way I'd never, never go to a Hindu temple. And hopefully, you wouldn't. If not, then I quit because I'm failing big time. (laughs) We may not drive to Robbinsville, New Jersey. Some of us, if we find ourselves in Houston, Texas, they find ourselves in one of the largest churches in America. Or on more than one occasion, the pastor who has been interviewed on national media has failed to state explicitly that Jesus is the only way to God. Instead, has dodged and said, well, he's the way for me. Maybe if we found ourselves in Atlanta, Georgia again, where another really large church, very prominent pastor is, who's now claiming that those that live lifestyles contrary to scripture, particularly in regards to marriage, can be accepted and believed or received as fellow believers, fellow Christians. Am I up here this morning trying to just bash mega churches and say, no, no, there's several, several pastors of very large churches that are faithful, that preach the gospel, that preach the good news of Jesus Christ, and we thank God for their ministry. But my point is this morning, even in Christianity, even in church world, we can be led astray. We can be deceived. That's why that survey said increasingly, even in American churches, men and women are rejecting the authority of the Bible. The authority of scripture. Many of you have told me stories about churches you've went to or churches you grew up in where the pastor would never, ever quote from the Bible, never read from the Bible. The sermon would never contain a single Bible verse in it. Again, we can be deceived by plausible arguments. What do we notice about these philosophies? Paul says they are human-based. They are human-based. They're not based on the truth of Scripture. No, they're based on human tradition. They're based on what we think, what we feel, what is right for us. It's all about me. Someone is trying to teach you way to live as a Christian and all they can say is this is what I think and this is my experience and this is what I believe and so on and so forth, maybe maybe they're telling you the truth right now, but you can be rest assured that that's all they focus on is themselves. They will eventually be led astray. Eventually, believe Paul. Paul even said it. He said, "Look, if if anyone else comes to you, he tells the church in Glacia, even if that person is an angel, and they preach something different than what you heard, you are to reject them. You are to walk away from them. Human-based religion will never." Never get you to God. Someone says, this is what I need to do to be happy and this is what I need to do to live my life. And they try to manipulate you by telling you it's better to have a a living daughter than a dead son or whatever. They are basing their arguments on human traditions. Human elements are not basing it on the truth of Scripture. Notice these are also false gods says that they're based on human traditions or based on the elemental spirits of the world actually a word is probably demonic rulers or powers demonic deities paul is speaking of local deities the national gods that were supposedly ruling over the different areas of the roman empire again we don't have statues and deities that we can bow down and worship like paul encountered On Mars Hill at Acts chapter 17 or 18. Man, we have false gods that live in our world today. The God of personal autonomy. The God of personal choice. The God of this is what I want to do and this is how I feel and this is the way I'm going to live my life and how dare you bigoted homophobe whatever tell me what to live and how to live. God of Frank Sinatra who says, I'm going to do it my way. Going to live my life. These gods are still alive today. Then notice number three, they are also anti-Christian. According to human tradition, according to elemental spirits, and they are not according to Christ. They are not according to Christ. Anyone that teaches you anything outside of the Scripture, outside of what you heard, outside of what you know, the Bible teaches you, they are leading you the wrong way. They will deceive you. And Paul said, they will take you captive. And you must be on guard. You must watch out. You need to be on guard every time you come here on Sunday. So I've heard you preach hundreds of messages. You've always been in line with Scripture. And I pray that I always will be. But you need to be on guard. Something needs to raise up in your mind when I say something. That you hear and you say, wait a second, I don't know that that's what Scripture teaches. You need to be on guard when you're buying your books and listening to your music and so on and so forth to make sure that what you hear, again, does more than just sound good, does more than just comes in, in a nice marketing slick package. You need to make sure that what you hear accords with sound doctrine, with teaching, the truth of Scripture. Paul says, see to it that no one, no one takes you captive. We have the command, we have the caution, and finally, finally again, we have the counter. Counter, what's the counter to these false deities? Tells the Colossians they should continue to walk and remain in Christ, not be led astray. The reason they should remain in Christ is simple. He is the counter. He is the argument. Stands against these false arguments and deceptive philosophies. Verse nine: For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, and He is the head of all rule and the third authority. So notice these things, and you find. You find the truth of God is. John said it this way in John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory Glorious of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side. He has made him. No, you want to know the truth about God. It's found here in the person and face of Jesus Christ. It's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not going to be found in what Congress passes a law. It's not going to be found in what your professor teaches at your college. It's going to be found in the face of Jesus Christ. This is who God is. Christ, you find the fullness of deity. and Christ, you find fulfillment for your soul. Ancient church father, Augustine, was the one who wrote those famous words. He said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Thee. Paul says, You... Looking at Christ, seeing Him, the the one who dwells, the fullness of deity dwells. And guess what? He also says, you have been filled with Him. You have been filled with Him and until you are filled with Christ in your life, you will always be empty, you will always be hungry, you will always be restless in your soul. Because there's nothing that can satisfy you. There is nothing that can satisfy the deepest longings of your hearts. I searched the world, but it could never fill me. Treasures, man's empty praises, never, never enough till you came along and you put me back together. Oh, there's nothing better than you. If you're here this morning, you've tried everything else that this world has to offer. I want to encourage you, try Jesus. We don't always promise a nice, easy road. It's not going to make everything great. You're not going to go home and win the lottery. I mean, maybe you will, but good for you if you do. But you will find, you will find a peace that passes all understanding. That's what Asaph was talking about when I read to you from Psalm 73 at the beginning of services. He's running around, he's looking, he said, I don't understand all these wicked people. They have money, they have health, they have everything they want. And here I am, poor and destitute. Then he says, he says, I went to the house of God and then I understand. All that they have is nothing more them Him standing on the edge of a cliff with one foot over the edge and the other one on a banana peel. They are surely going to fall. They said, God is the portion and the strength of my heart forever. And who do I have in heaven beside you? My heart and flesh may fail, but I will know and see God. The well, says, you have been filled with Him. Finally, Paul says in Christ, you have victory over all other rule and authority. For in him, again, verse 9 and 10, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You have been filled in him and he is the head of all rule and authority. He is greater He is greater than any other God that is out there. He is greater than any other power and authority that is out there. Men are shaking their swords and their their spears out there running around thinking that they can sense weakness and American greatness or whatever, and maybe they'll have a chance to rule the world. But I hate to tell them, guys, you're wrong. Christ already rules this world. There are philosophies out there that are trying to find prominence in society, trying to find prominence in culture, and they may become the new thing, the new fad, but I hate to tell them they still have no authority over Christ. With regard to the fullness of God's presence with us on earth and in Christ, we have all that can be ours. This side of heaven, with regard to heaven's victory over powers, and principalities we share with Christ, all that he has won. He is greater. So again, I challenge you and I ask you this morning, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go to find victory, find power, to find authority outside of Christ. Who do you think really is going to hold that answer if not Jesus? I know you come in here week after week. As I said last week, we sang the same old songs, Amazing Grace, and oh, how Jesus loves me, and he is great and wonderful and worthy of praise. You hear the same old message from me week after week, but we do because there's nothing else out there. There's nothing else out there. There's nothing greater than Jesus Christ. And I challenge you this morning, instead of thinking maybe I can go find an answer somewhere else, to come back and say, Christ, You are the answer. You are the hope. I'm going to continue to walk the way that you want me to. If it becomes more and more counterculture, and we're already seeing that, we still will follow Christ. If you haven't done that, do that today. If you have, again, I know that that YouTube video is probably far more put together than I am. I know that that speech that you heard sounded a whole lot better. But again, there's nothing greater than Jesus. Don't be led astray. Don't be deceived. Remain in Christ. Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank You for this good old story. This good old story that we've heard over and over again. And many of us were brought to church. We rolled around on the floors. We held the hymnals in our hand and we read those precious words over and over again. my sister so-and-so banged on the piano or the organ and the saints all sang the songs Lord we're in a different age and different era now but thank you thank you for these same old songs these same old words Christ is enough Christ is greater Christ is all we need Lord help us as a church not to be deceived. Help us not to be led astray by worldly beliefs, worldly systems, worldly philosophies. Help us to keep our hearts and minds focused on what you have taught us, what you have shown us. Help us to remain true to the story of Jesus, we pray. And I want to challenge you, convict you, stir you here this morning though the world is pressing against you I'm telling you that there's an easier way there's a better way that this Christian thing is outdated that it doesn't make sense in our world I challenge you don't give in to those lies and tell your children about Jesus tell them about the good news of the Gospel. Take them to church. Drag them to Sunday school. Drag them to VBS. And don't give in just because the school system is teaching them one thing. Don't. Don't give in because, again, your professor at college has written books and been published and all this stuff. Stick with the truth of the Gospel. Stick with this message. There is nothing greater. And help us by your grace, Lord, to remain steadfast and true in you. We pray. We ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand here? Let's close with the song, "Song of.